you all. Uh, welcome to our second webinar. We promised you that each time we host a webinar, it will only get better and better. We still have a lot of persons in the waiting room. As soon as the presenter um, begins, I will continue to admit persons carefully. This evening, we have two wonderful speakers who will empower us I know one personally, and I can say Latoya is a powerhouse. She is the current chairman for the Book Industry Association of Jamaica, and she wears many different hats, which you will hear um, by Chanel later. So let me give the floor to Chanel so that she can now introduce our first speaker. Chanel? Mrs. Blackwood is the founder of iPublish Consultancy and its imprint, Imagination Books. This focuses on works that promote cross-cultural understanding, gender equality, inclusion, and social justice. So she's also the chairman of the Book Industry Association of Jamaica, which by annually hosts its Kingston Book Festival. So under her leadership, she has strengthened its work in the area of promoting reading and literacy as tools of personal development and national transformation with a special focus in the areas of early grade reading and access to literature for all, particularly persons with disabilities. In addition to her passion for reading, literacy, and general volunteerism, Latoya is certified in project management, and a member of the inaugural class of Barack Obama's Young Leaders of the Americas. She's the founding president of the US Exchanges Alumni Association, a British Council 
Creative Scotland and Edinburgh Festival's Momentum alumna and the current chairman of Youth Prime Watch of Jamaica, which is a research-driven, youth-focused, non-governmental organization working with communities across the island on issues of violence, prevention, sustainable livelihoods, and integrity building. As Santana says, I trust that her presentation will be well-received. I'm sure that she's more than capable to present on the topic that she will be presented on. With no further ado, I invite your undivided attention for Mrs. West Blackwood. I now turn over to you, Latoya. The floor is now yours. Hello. Hello. All right, so it's such a pleasure, um, you know, to be on this call this evening with everyone. And I'm thankful to Santana for inviting me to participate in what um, has been, I mean, it started, the last one I watched, I believe was the first in the series and it certainly was very informative. And I, you know, have some expectations to live up to based on that one. So I'll try to be brief, but also try to share as much insight as possible. I like to always start out presentations, you know, reflecting um, on a point of reflection. And I know that, for a lot of us now, anxiety and fear are big, you know, big ticket items, um, if we're all being honest. I know that a lot of the people on this call are people of faith and, you know, persons who really try to remain optimistic and hopeful, but we're all human beings. And so I know that based on, no, none of us, I mean, I don't think any of us on this call were alive during the Spanish flu or any you know, other pandemic of this nature that has pretty much changed um, in a short space of time, a lot of things that we acknowledge as normal. So I wanted to share um, a quote that I have been reflecting on recently with you just to start out. And it says that anxiety, right, is practicing failure in advance. It's needless and it is imaginary. So the anxiety from fear, it's not that we're not humans and so on, but when we really look at, at things, the level sometimes that we take the anxiety and the fear to, it is really needless and some of it is imaginary. And there's no use in being fearful about fear, right? And it also says fear, that means nothing. Anxiety protects you, doesn't protect you from danger. So even some of the things that we're fearful of, for some people, it might be getting um, the virus that's going around now. It might be the whole stability in terms of your income or your family and any threats posed to your family. But being anxious and being fearful is not going to stop. If there is a real threat, it's not going to stop it. Right, so anxiety doesn't protect you from danger, but from doing great things. And that is what I want to focus on this evening. We have, we're living in a time that is really driving a lot of fear and anxiety into some of us. But I would love for all of us in our respective capacities, there might be teachers who are on this call, who are thinking about their students, parents thinking about their children, team leaders thinking about their team. 
And it is really time for us to focus on the great things that we can do and achieve pivoting out of this crisis that is before us. All right, so we're here this evening and we're talking about reading and literacy. And I've titled my subtitle, the presentation, The Healing of a Nation, because I really believe that more now than ever, you know, the focus on reading, the habit of reading, and our move in terms of building on the foundations we've laid in terms of um, literacy. It is now time to continue that work and to deepen it and to deepen our collaboration. And so the talk this evening, as was, as was advertised on the flyer, it says a talk on Jamaica's book industry, the COVID-19 crisis, and addressing the needs of young readers and students. So let me get straight into it. So, you know, in terms of, I won't spend much time on this slide because you would have heard my bio, but I'm very proud of all of these affiliations because I strongly believe in volunteerism. That's something that Santana and I share um, because volunteerism, volunteering the best of ourselves and our skills really does a lot in terms of building our communities, our country and our world. And so for me, knowing that my passion can transform lives, uplift my country and make the world a better place is really what fuels any activity that you're seeing me being a part of in terms of all of these affiliations. It's all about, at the end of the day, how is it making the lives of the people who live in my community, who live in my country and who live in the world better because at the end of the day that's what it all boils down to it makes no sense for us to you know gather up all the personal achievements and the wealth and everything and at the end of the day we have to close ourselves mm -hmm. off from the rest of the world you know with that wealth because the whole world is falling apart while we are you know getting ourselves together so that is my point of view, and I hope that most of the people on the call share that. So about the Book Industry Association of Jamaica, some fast facts. The BIAJ is one of the oldest trade associations in the Caribbean, the English-speaking Caribbean, and currently is the only member of the International Publishers Association in the region. As a matter of fact, I'm scheduled to give a talk uh, the first week of July, I can share the flyer with Santana for her to share it, um, just to give an update on the status of publishing in the Caribbean with the rest of the world. So, you know, it's very important for us to put ourselves out there and to also call on our counterparts in other parts of the world to see how we can share resources um, and collaborate to ensure that we get the support that we need coming out of uh, what's happening now. Our first chairman was Shirley Carby, and Shirley Carby, as some of you might know, is the founder of Carlong Publishers, which does, it, it's one of the Caribbean's biggest um, educational publishers. Uh, Jam Copy, which is a Jamaica copyright licensing agency, is uh, an offspring of the BIAJ and Jam Copy. If any of you on the call are creators in terms of people who have, whether you're an author, you write a blog, you, um, you're an illustrator, any content that you create, you can check in with Jam Copy. They have a website. So if you literally Google them, you can find it. And they are the 
chief body in Jamaica in terms of giving you guidance on all matters copyright. And they also pay people who are registered affiliates um, from their, you know, when they have your work registered, they're able to track the usage and so any royalties or so that are due from your work, they are the ones who administer that. So you can actually earn from your intellectual property. And finally, in the fast facts, the BIAG biennially hosts the Kingston Book Festival and the Kingston Book Festival is our way of spreading the message about reading and literacy with the general public. Because a lot of what the BIAG does normally is you know that organization to organization liaison so we work closely um and we're trying to deepen the relationship more with the ministry of education and other bodies that are concerned with fostering a reading and knowledge culture uh so that's it in a nutshell all right so what are we talking about this evening so as it relates to our current situation right this information i'm sharing on my screen now is from unicef and it says that the numbers are unprecedented in terms of you know the covid crisis that is happening and the implications are enormous i think most of us can agree to that what jumps out is the figure that 1.6 billion children and young people around the world are directly impacted by the temporary closure of schools. Many of us know that the situation around literacy, particularly our literacy rate, and you know, breaking it down in terms of who is functionally literate from you know, who is operating at which level, it, it is far from ideal in terms of what we want. The work has brought it to a certain level, but we still have some more work to be done especially at the early grade reading level and so this is a major concern not only in jamaica but right across the world because that represents essentially 91 percent of students and we are also seeing where countries who are dealing with the same covid pandemic have tried to reopen schools and we have seen reports where children even and we're talking about first world countries they have had to re-examine that move because you know children are becoming impacted you know and the different workers that support them teachers and, and other persons so it's really having a direct impact and and right across so it's not that one country is facing it another way from the other it's really impacting all of us in a major way and so never before have we seen so many children being out of school at the same time. You know, there's a major disruption to learning, upending of lives outside of learning. And it is disproportionately impacting our most vulnerable and marginalized. So really, we have a situation where this generation of children have to live through a crisis that will change how they live, how they learn, and how they interact. How are we helping them to manage that change? And that's something I really want us to engage on. I want to leave a lot of room for discussion because I'd love to hear from other people on this call um, in the different spheres, whether you're in the community, whether you're an educator, you know, 
policy maker, whatever it is, because we have to appreciate the, the enormous impact on mental health, right? And we have to be very deliberate about how we help our young people and children to manage this change and to cope because resilience is not something that falls from the sky. It is something that we have to create an environment to facilitate. And I don't know, I mean, I think everybody on the call would agree with me that if we need our children and young people to succeed in general, no more than ever is when we're going to have to support them in an extraordinary um, at an extraordinary level, right? And so, you know, some of the sentiments in the early days of the, the COVID um, crisis unfolding, you would hear people saying things along the line of that COVID has leveled the playing field, which I don't agree with. I think that it has actually tilted. And at the end of the day, we have to, any effort that we're going to put in to support our young people and children, especially psychologically, we have to be very honest. And one of the truths that we have to come face to face with is that we cannot build resilience on the foundation of inequality. Now, I don't need to give you the figures. I don't need to convince anybody. We know the, the, the severe challenges that we have with inequality and how that impacts our children. We see it every day. There are teachers who have had to become parents, had to become sisters, mothers, brothers, just to try and fill those gaps that have been created. And when we talk about inequality, a lot of people tend to jump immediately to the bottom line, you know, like talking about income. That is a reality especially for, for, for women-led um, households because we still have the struggle with, you know, the whole matter of equal work for equal pay, but that's a whole other discussion. So when we talk about inequality, though, we're not just zooming in on income, but we're talking about the related things like access to tools, resources, and opportunities. What have we seen unfolding before us? we have seen where the digital divide is widening. With the transition of learning at home to learning at home from the classroom, we have seen some very positive developments. We have seen where a lot of educators have independently, you know, risen up and, you know, taken on this whole bold approach in terms of trying to see how they can independently try to, to help their students to innovate, to create ways to fill whatever gaps are created. I saw a national story, I don't remember the name of the principal, but I believe he's from Westmoreland, where you know, he was on the back of a bike delivering um, printed materials because his students were not fortunate enough to have their own um, personal devices. So, that was his way of intervening. But this is not a temporary situation because what we're seeing unfolding is that we're going into a, 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 a well, not even a future in terms of distance. We're looking at September 
where when we talk about things like social distancing and all the other public health guidance that's there, you know, and the fact that we're not, we don't have a vaccine, we don't have things settled down to a point where we have regained some kind of control. It is a dynamic situation. We really don't know what a classroom is going to look like, or even if some schools are going to be able to occupy the classrooms, even with our best thinking and innovation and trying to reorganize the spaces. So the whole matter of this now mixed mode of learning, you know, this is going to be a, a component in terms of the psychological. There are children who might be at home now thinking about the fact that, okay, I don't have a device, I don't have, you know, access to data. My mother, some children are using the parents' device and now parents have to go back to work. And, you know, sometimes, especially there are some children I've met um, who are so dear to my heart in terms of going into communities and they're so thoughtful of the adults around them, especially if they are putting out their best to try and facilitate their learning and development, that they, they don't even express some of these anxieties that they might have or the fears. And, you know, we kind of say, oh, they're quiet and we leave them alone. And they're, they're internalizing all of these issues. So it, it is a complex situation. And so what we really need now are our best minds activated in all the spaces, supporting the parents to support our young people and children, supporting the educators to do the same. And, you know, it's, it's all uh, an ecosystem that we have to create. So now I'm going to zoom in on what the book industry has been doing in terms of the the psychological support that we deliver is twofold in terms of direct interventions to reduce the lack of access and to provide support in terms of access. And then I'm going to talk about the other part, which is what I call bibliotherapy. So I want to highlight one of our members, which is Book Fusion. I'm not sure you know, if everybody on the call is familiar with this platform, but if you're not, you can, have a, you can visit it um, after this talk and explore it in your own time. But Book Fusion was developed by Duane Campbell and um, his wife, Kelly Ray Campbell. And you know they have their whole team. But the important thing about Book Fusion is that it actually existed long before we needed it right now. Um, and it's really about, you know, I know everybody knows Amazon and all of that, but it, it, it was very, um, inspiring to me personally to see a Jamaican, um, you know, who yes has gone out into the world and explored and been and, and been educated, really develop a platform that is for us, by us, and to to the world, right? So even though it's developed locally, it is used by people well beyond the shores of Jamaica, and specifically in response to this uh, this current issue with COVID, and even before. Book Fusion has been working with the Ministry of Education to try to increase access to students in terms of materials, most of them being free in terms of materials that have been created or developed, whether through the ministry or other partners that help to support the general reading habit 
of students because again, I don't think I have to go into all the details for the people on this call in terms of the benefits of reading um, for leisure, not just for learning and balancing that. And so the, the publications are, you know, balanced in that way that are provided on this platform. And so Book Fusion has deepened its partnership with the ministry and other stakeholders at this point in time to try to reach as many children as possible in terms of providing access to critical materials that they need to support both their learning and just to continue to develop their minds and to provide inspiration and, and relief really in terms of just general reading material. And so you can you know, explore the site some more but we wanted to highlight them because they are really doing important work um, in terms of that pro providing access. So on the matter of bibliotherapy, and I'm gonna spend a little bit more time on this one. So bibliotherapy is really the use of books and reading to support the mental health of our, well, in this case, young people and children, and to help them to, you know, feel that they're in a safe space to share about their different emotions, ideas, and just general expression, right? So in the same way, physiotherapy helps you to recover from a physical injury, you know, with bibliotherapy, you might not be injured in terms of, you know, anything, but it's about providing that stimulation to the mind positively, you know, focusing it on getting out those emotions that you have and getting out those ideas and helping you to, to, to even do teamwork and to develop community and to express, which is so very important, especially now. And so we decided um, to partner, we were actually approached by an entity called Fight for Peace through their UP program, which is Unity and Peace. They actually work in six communities across West Kingston. However, our program focused on three and we actually started our intervention in May of this year um, on Read Across Jamaica Day. The country lead for Fight for Peace is Kelly Magnus, and this project was actually funded by the American Friends of Jamaica, who provided a grant. Now, Fight for Peace has their Fighting Words book club, uh, which has been going on for some time now. And so with COVID-19 coming into the picture, it, you know, limited what was possible in terms of carrying on activities with the children. And so Fight for Peace approached us um, based on, you know, work we have done through Kingston Book Festival and as BIAG to, you know, essentially see how we could support these young people who were missing these activities, which for them were providing relief long before we even thought about COVID. Uh, the communities that we worked in specifically, or we are working in, Parade Gardens, Trenchtown, and Denham Town. Those are our areas of focus. The book club has over 60 children, 
And what is great about it is that the gender breakdown is, is almost 50-50. So we have just as many boys participating as there are girls, right? And for those of you who might have been tracking the news, though we have a pandemic going on, we also had the ongoing pandemic of crime and violence. And so even while people had to be closed indoors for fear of getting infected, they actually had outbreaks of violence in the area, which actually claimed the life the lives of two young people who some of these club members knew in person. So this wasn't just another news story for them. And so this intervention was even more critical than we had initially imagined because this situation unfolded while the book club was going on. So with the virtual book club, we use Zoom, which is, you know, of course, a popular platform. And we developed a program of, of activities that would touch on multiple areas, um, kind of almost shadowing the personal development um, pillars that you see here in support of change. Um, but of course, focusing primarily on education, social support, and you know, helping them to continue on the journey of developing their leadership skills. We had support from First Global Bank's foundation they actually sponsored copies of Shelley Ann Fraser Price's um, book, you know, about her life story and how she became a runner. We had the Bob Marley Foundation on board with Sidella Marley participating with a virtual reading with her niece and nephew. And, you know, it all just came together because that book that was used is called Get Up, Stand Up, inspired by Bob Marley's um, famous song and the lyrics. And this was before the, the protests broke out in the US over George, George Floyd's death and then moving into the whole thing of Black Lives Matter, etc. So we actually had had a discussion with the children before about positive, you know, positive energy being proud of themselves and their hope, hope you know, their identity defining that and all of that. So we are hoping that, you know, with the discussions that came after, they were able to kind of navigate that mentally because we had prepared them. Um, and Sidella spent quite a lot of time on the call with them. We had Kingston Bookshop highlighting to the children. They did, did a kind of look behind the book. Um, Shauna Fuller Clark led that. And they were exposed to, you know, what a bookshop operates like. They were also, um, we shared some some titles with them by Jamaican and Caribbean authors because we were very we're always very deliberate about ensuring that our children understand that books knowledge and creating it's not a foreign thing they are capable of telling their own stories they are they should also be able to identify themselves in stories and to know that that is an outlet for them in terms of expressing their own um, issues, you know, whether it's issues, personal issues or issues in the community or issues in their country or things that are just important to them. It doesn't have to be any big moral, so it can just be humor, etc. But at the end of the day, identity is very important. And just knowing that you have the power to create, not just to consume. 
And then we had the book merchant who came on board, just supporting by donating some books. Both all the people who are featured here actually provided book, um, reading materials that we have packaged, put into care packages that, you know, once it is safe, we are going to be delivering to all the book clubs in these three communities. I wanted to highlight this partner especially because it, it is such an important intervention. And I think that it's a tool freely available that a lot of persons on this call can actually use in the whole effort to, and I mean, now, but also well beyond this pandemic, which we will get through. Um, there is this tool that's available called Greater Cakes. Now, Greater Cakes was developed by Kenya Mattis, and she's more popularly known for her media um, entity, which is called Listen Me. So that's Listen and MI, right? Uh, so her team developed this digital storytelling project called Greater Kids, and it's great kids telling sweet stories. I love it. Uh, so they currently have a new website, and on that website, they have created a space for children and young people to do comics and story development. So literally, you know, this was in our intervention with these three communities, we did a workshop, a digital storytelling workshop, where we exposed the children to, you know, character development. So they literally developed a character um, and, you know, asked all the questions that you need. I'm wrapping up. I was monitoring my time. Um, but, you know, they did character development, started outlining their stories, you know, looking at what is a plot and how you develop that and all of that. And at the end of the day, they, have, they all had the opportunity of having their stories illustrated or animated and being published on this website for the whole world to see. I think that's fantastic. And this opportunity is available to all children once the parents um, grant permission, because that's a part of the, the step they have to take on this website. So if the children are, if you know, young people going on are under 18, has to be with the parents' um, consent. But I think that this is a fantastic tool that you can use to, you know, stimulate that storytelling and, and try to pull out issues that might be, you know, children don't want to just come right out and talk about, but these are things that they might share in this way. Finally, I wanted to just touch on the US, US Exchange Alumni Association, which I am the founding president of, and you know, just a member, the, the, their team leader, that's how I feel. I'm just leading the team. And our team is really the grouping of young people and professionals of all ages who have had an opportunity through the United States um, Department of State to embark on exchange programs, whether they're educational, um, so, you know, Fulbright, Comfrey, all of those programs fall under there, you know, cultural, business, um, all, of, all, the, all the exchange department, the exchange programs we can think of. And so we are driven by the power of exchange in that we have been given 
fantastic opportunities at no cost to us. Um, whether, you know, to get a whole master's degree at no cost or, you know, to go and, and live and work in another country and, and be able to interact with top officials or policymakers to learn and to come back and to implement in our own communities and country. And so we are always looking for ways to give back. So what we did quietly, um, you know, at the height of the pandemic and realizing that a lot of children had to be now transitioning to learning from home, but we knew that a lot of homes were without a dedicated device and without data, um, importantly. We partnered with Digicel to sponsor some, you know, needy students to ensure that they have data access for no less than a month to prepare for their, um, their exams. So we have the, the CSEC and CAPE coming up. And so we have sponsored children, young people from across the island. We worked with the um, Jamaica Teaching Council and we have also worked with Teach Caribbean, which is a program that's going to do a summer school type intervention. Um, I think like Mile Gully High is one of the schools. I can't remember all the others. But we have worked with that with, with those groups to you know distribute this assistance. And so that's just a, an effort we have highlighted. And I want to, I'm going to be encouraging our alumni body, you know, which is made up of people in all at all levels of the society to continue to, to, to give and to see how many more students we can impact. So I'll keep in touch with Santana to see you know, how we can work together with your network um, to see how we can assist students who are in your network. Because we know that September is not going to see a much different reality um, for a lot of students. And so this kind of support will continue to be needed. And, you know, we want to help with that. So that wraps up my um, contribution. You know, stay connected with the BIAG. You can follow us online. On Twitter, we are Read Jamaican. Everywhere else, we are Book Industry Association of Jamaica. And of course, we have our Kingston Book Festival brand. Thank you so much for listening to me. And I'm excited to hear from all the people on this call. And